0: Welcome to Present Truth Broadcast with Pastor Maxwell O'Gaga, brought to you by Present Truth Ministry, a teaching ministry where believers are trained to be established in the truth of God's Word. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you because I'm anointed to teach, your people are anointed to receive. Together, our faith is built up in the person of Jesus, in Jesus' mighty name. I want to look at the power and purpose of corporate prayers. The power and purpose of corporate prayers. We can pray on our own, but the Lord has designed the body to come together. One of the things that we must begin to be conscious of as Children of God is the issue around the body. That we are called the body of Christ because God wants us to be united for a specific purpose. Praying together is one of the most single, most significant events we can do as children of God to pray together. To pray together. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. The Lord gives us an express instruction. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. The Lord gives us an express instruction. And that instruction is. Let's look at verse 23. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Verse 24. It says. And let us consider one another. In order. To stir up love. And good works. Look at that. It says. Let us consider one another. For one purpose. To stir up love. And good works. That's God's instruction to us. That when we come together, we should stir up good works. What are those good works? One of such good works is prayers. Our interaction with each other ought to produce love. Praise the name of the Lord. Our interaction. I'll say this to you. If someone would ask me, for instance, what's the most important subject to teach? In the body of Christ, like if you have to teach one subject, what subject would you teach? I'll just teach walking in love. If you can comprehend that, if you can receive it, <laughs> if you can manifest it, your problems in life will be very easy. He says, Let us. Consider one another to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. So, the coming together of believers is a direct instruction of God. Meetings are important for the child of God. Our gathering together is important. You see, there are things that will not be accomplished if we do not come together. All of us together were stronger than an individual. It's important for us to begin to, in our walk with God, to prioritize the coming of ourselves together. You know, sometimes as a minister of the gospel, you find some of these things a bit tricky to teach because then people say, oh, okay, it's because you're the pastor. No, but this is God instructing us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Look at, he, he went on to say, as in the manner of some. So, some people have the habit of forsaking the assembly. As in the manner of some. But exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Let's exhort one another. Let's build up one another. If you don't find your brother in service, you need to be concerned. Why were you not there? He says, let's exhort one another. Let's encourage one another. I found that as a student of missions and someone who is involved in missions, the the churches of the Lord that are in persecuted regions are a lot more united than than, um, um, in regions where there is freedom of worship. You know, people say, oh, let's go back to the day of Acts. Let's go back to the day of Acts. Let's go back to how the church started. That's the real church. And the truth of the matter is, one of the things that forced that church to come to that point of unity was the persecution they were suffering. And so, actually, literally, their Christian brothers were the only brothers they had. Are you following what I'm saying? You know, I I think I was driving with... um, I was Gabriel or one of the leaders in church, and we were talking about uh, understanding the brotherhood of the Christian faith. And I just began to mention names of people that we, I mean were close and all that, and I was like, "I don't really know where this person is from. Like if you ask me, "Where is this guy from? I don't know his village. You know I just know this person by the larger ethnic tribe, like maybe he's a Yoruba person, he's an nimbo person or whatever. but to tell how close we are without knowing such details would show you that there was something that made us closer. And what was that? The fact that we are believers in the Lord Jesus. In our hearts, we must not fragment ourselves from the body. Don't fragment yourself. I've, I've heard people Um, maybe get into a local assembly. I'll spend time to teach on the local assembly. I've heard people get into the local assembly and say, oh, well, I don't want to do anything. I just want to be on my own. I don't want trouble. I just want this one. I was in that church. This happened. I was in this church. This happened. I was in that church. You see, your experiences should not teach you how to relate in the house of God. The word of God should teach you. Are you following what I'm saying? Are you hearing what I'm saying? The word of God is what teaches us. How do we as believers behave? It's not what I've experienced. It's what the word teaches. And the word teaches that we should come together. We should not forsake. So coming together for the fellowship um, of the spirit is not something that was designed by man. It's God's ordination. It's God's design. It's God's purpose. It's God's will for the believer. Praise the name of the Lord. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 56 and verse 7. And I'll show you a scripture there. We're looking at the purpose and the power of corporate prayers. Isaiah chapter 56 and verse 7. Isaiah chapter 56 and verse 7. Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Now, I want you to observe that. It says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. I want you to, let's take that verse apart. A house of prayer. So God wants His house to be known as a house of prayer. Now He gives you the purpose. What's this prayer going to achieve? He it says it's going to be the house of prayer for all nations. So I want you to see. Please, if you were not here on Wednesday when I taught on why we should pray, make sure you get the message. I taught on um, what you popularly call the Lord's Prayer. I says, Our Father, you know, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, the kingdom come, that will be done on earth. And I try to explain. That we have a father-son relationship with God, but our prayers should prioritize the kingdom. He says, when we are called a house of prayer, it's not just for our needs. It's so we can intercede for nations. It's so we can cause the will of God to come to pass in nations. When we come together as believers, we're not just praying for ourselves. We are praying for nations to come under the lordship of Jesus. He says, we shall be called a house of prayer. Every time God looks at us, he always sees us as, not as individuals, but as a people. When God was writing to the churches in the book of Revelation, what happened? He says, to the church in Ephesus. He didn't write to Assemblies of God Church. He didn't write to Christ Church of Christ. He didn't write to First Gospel Church International. He didn't write to KDC. What did he write to? To the church in Ephesus to the church in Laodicea to the church so god sees the church in a region as a corporate body god sees us as a local household as a corporate body he sees us as one man you know most times we don't understand the the, the import of what it means when the when the bible calls us the body of christ i'll tell you something Let's let's go through this. Now, I'll tell you something. When Paul was persecuting the church, the Lord appeared to him as Saul. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Right? He says, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? How come? Paul wasn't killing the Lord, but that's how God takes his body. I'll give you another example. Maybe a positive example. He says, if you do this to the prophet, you'll get a prophet's reward. If you do this to a righteous one, you'll get a righteous one's reward. And Matthew tells us that. When the Lord was separating the sheep and the goats. And he says, oh Lord, where were you? When we saw you hungry and we, we, we didn't feed you. When we saw you in prison. He says, if you have done it to the least of these ones, you have done it to me. It tells us that Jesus is represented in the list of these ones. Jesus is represented in us. The way I treat you is the way I treat the Lord. In you is the Lord. You know, most of us have this concept. You know, it's not about people. It's just between me and God. It can't be between you and God. God is represented in people. God is representing your brother sitting close to you. And that's why John says, he says, if we cannot fellowship with one another, fellowship with the people we see, how can we claim that we can fellowship with the Lord? And gradually, all we're doing is fragmenting ourselves from the body, fragmenting ourselves from the body. Thinking that oh, I can do it myself, I can approach God myself. Although you can, and absolutely you can approach God yourself, but He has designed that approach to be through and with the body. Let me tell you, your best place for spiritual growth is through the local church. You know why? That's where your patience will be tested, that's where your love work will be tested, that's where the confession of faith will be tested, that's where everything will be will be tested. Praise the name of the Lord. My house will be called the house of prayer. God wants us not to only be a word people. God wants us to be a people of prayer. To intercede for the nations. And all true scriptures even in the Old Testament. Let's go to Ezra chapter 8. Ezra chapter 8. And we're going to read verse 21. If we go to Ezra chapter 8 and we're going to read verse 21. We're going to find a corporate... Do you have it there? Okay, Ezra eight twenty one. Then I proclaimed the first day at the river of Ahava that we might, we, we might humble ourselves before our God. Note the use of the plural terms. <clears throat> I mean, the corporate terms. We might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. Verse 22 for I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road because we had spoken to the king saying the hand of our God is upon all those for, for good who seek him but his power and his wrath are against all those who, f- who forsake him verse 23 so we fasted and entreated our God for these and he answered what our prayers Ezra said, listen, we're going to cross this desert. We're going to take this journey. But we've busted so much about God. He says, come on, let's get together and let's fast and pray and trust God for our little ones. Let's trust God for our possession. It's like saying, let's trust God for our children. Let's trust God for our prosperity. Let's do it together. We must understand that God wants us to prosper corporately. We must understand that God wants us to excel corporately. We must understand that God wants us to grow corporately. The, the Christian race is not a race for the superstar. God doesn't just want one highly spiritual person and every other person isn't growing. Or one wealthy person and every other person is struggling. And one uh, very good person and every other guy is the bad guy around them. No, no. God wants us to grow as a body. And in our attitude, that should reflect... When I talk to you, I should talk to you as a man talking to the Lord. When I address you, I should address you as a man talking to the Lord. Not just as a brother in the faith, but knowing that the Lord is represented in you. Praise the name of the Lord. So there was a there was a corporate fast. Esther chapter 4, verse 16. There was a corporate fast. Esther chapter 4. And verse 16. As we get into our of prayers, I want us to see this that we need to, to Esther, Esther chapter um, 4, and verse 16. We need to come into that place of corporateness where God sees us as one. Go gather all the Jews who are present in Susan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, not for three days, night or day. My mates and I will fast likewise, and so I'll go to the king, which is Against the law, and if I perish, I perish. You know, most of the time, we, we extol Esther so much. that Esther made a decision. She said, if I perish, I perish. And Esther was this powerful woman. Obviously, she was. But there was a whole nation behind her in prayers. There was a whole nation saying, Lord, we repeal this decree. You know the funny thing about life? Nothing brings the church together like there's a disaster. Right? If something happens now, they say, oh, no, let's gather." You see, 2019 is coming. They are going to call prayer conferences everywhere. Are you following that? It is not a crisis that brings the church together to pray. It is God's will that we pray even at, in our times of prosperity. Are you following this? Come on, are you with me? Are you following this this morning? It's not God's will that when something goes wrong, you know that's what happens. When something goes wrong in the family, oh, call sister, call brother. Let's fast. We are always crisis-driven. Our corporateness is always pushed by crisis. and that's not God's will. Let me let me tell you something. Let me tell you something this morning. If you want to be someone who grows in the Lord, even in your times of prosperity, seek God as if everything is wrong. When, you, when there's enough, fast, pray. Don't be the one that adversity alone will call to the place of prayer. Now, you know, Bonnie is peaceful. Everywhere is fine. They're not calling us for prayer. Let something go wrong. They say, oh, the churches let us gather. Why? It seems that crisis always drags us to the place of corporateness. But that's not God's will. That's why even as a local church, we don't wait for things to go wrong to say, hey, let's dedicate this month to prayer. In our days of prosperity and days of peace, we just separate ourselves to pray. It's a sign of spiritual maturity. Are you still here? In Second Chronicles chapter 20, I'm just going to read. This. There's a lot of scripture we should read. But in Second Chronicles chapter 20 verse 3 to 4, it builds the case of corporate prayer. In Exodus chapter 3 verse 9, it builds the case of corporate prayer. When God speaks to Israel, he speaks to the whole nation. We must understand that there are certain things that God will not speak to us individually. He will speak to us as a people. How good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. There the Lord commanded the blessing. There are blessings that are commanded in our corporate nature. We should always put the the greater body of Christ in our hearts when we minister to one another. These are the truths we should learn in our services. These are the things we should be taught and trained in. Understanding what the body of Christ is. Knowing that if I see my brother, I've seen the Lord. That my relationship with my brother is a reflection of my relationship with the Lord. (laughs) Are you still here? Talk to me. Are you still here? I'll show you something quickly. Mark chapter... Mark 11. Mark chapter 11. Let me show you something quickly. That that great chapter of faith, right? Mark 11, verse what? Verse 23. Come on, you should know this. Mark 11, 23. For shortly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatsoever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. 25. You know, that's where we stop. We only stop at verse 24. You know why? That's, that's fantastic. I'll have what I say. Whatever I tell God, God is going to do it for me. But let's read on. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything, Against anyone. Come on, say anything. Anything. Say it one more time. Anything. Anything. Against anyone. anyone. That means if anyone is good, bad, and ugly. You You know, sometimes we rationalize our offense. We make it legitimate. Like, God, even if you are the one, I know you will get angry. I know. But, but he says, Anyone and he says anything. Come on, you know, these are the things we don't like reading. Let's read it again. Let's read it again.
1: And whenever,
0: so, so I'm standing on Tuesday to pray, I found out that hey, something is in my heart. So I say, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I forgive this guy. And I'm coming on Wednesday to pray. Whenever I find something again, I say, Lord, whenever. That means this is constant state of forgiveness. Anytime you go to pray, if you are genuine, anytime you go to pray and there's offense in your heart, that offense will come out first. Now, what you start doing is you start rationalizing it. And it has been easy for us now, since we have categorized most people as our enemies, the way we are now taught, that's when we now release Holy Ghost fire. So it legitimizes that offense in us. <laughs> you know the most difficult thing Jesus ever did? In my own estimation, this is me now, Maxwell speaking. You know the most difficult thing Jesus ever did for me? Not hanging on the cross. That's why he came. It was on the day of his crucifixion when he called Judas friend. Hi. Even if I'm going to go on the cross, do you understand? I will go. But to call you friend, no way. Judas, you that I I picked as my disciple. (laughs) Even you that I gave money to hold, you, Judas, you, you sold me. I know I will go to the cross, but you, you will not go scot-free. And then you hear people say, oh, that guy that I trusted betrayed me. Oh, this one betrayed me. This guy broke my heart. That one scattered it. Even the little heart I had left, that one just shattered it into pieces. That's why Jesus said He came for the broken-hearted. Came for you. But you see, betrayal is part of life. That's where our love work is tested. Our love work is not tested when everybody's smiling at us. And I'm not saying this to now say, "Hey, you are preaching." That's that's even something. Else. If he's still doing you, hey, it has not gone. See, Pastor pre. I wish my husband was in church today. No, no, it has not gone, it's still there. You know when it is gone? Is when you even hear something like this and you are finding it difficult to recollect. Then you know it's gone. You know, sometimes you think you're forgiving people until you see them. Or until you hear bad things about them. If you hear bad things about them and your heart just rejoices more and say, Ah, my Lord will never disappoint me. It's still there. No, I'm telling you the truth. You know, when the Lord says, pray for your enemies, is the most difficult assignment. Because when you kneel down to pray, you say, Lord, if you give me the chance, <laughs> just, <laughs> why am I even saying? You know why God said David was a man after his heart? Go study those men. You know why God said David was a man? He messed up. He messed up a lot. The guy did some crazy things. But David had a kind of heart that was very close to the heart of God. I'll just give you two instances. Maybe we'll spend time in Saul's life of David. I'll give you two instances. When there was opportunity to kill Saul, in fact, his servant says, Master, one stroke. Don't even do it so that it won't be there. Let the blood be on my head. David said no. When he cut his garments, he said his heart pricked him. And he says, he, he, he told Abner, hey, come on, look at your master's garments.'" And Saul made a statement, and that was the day, I believe, that Saul legally transferred the kingship to David. He said, David, my son, you are more righteous than I am. I mean, who was Saul? This was the guy that was killing. I mean, what did David do to Saul? Nothing. Just some choir people who came to start singing that uh, David killed 20,000, know, Saul killed 10,000. It wasn't David that composed the song. Just choir people. They're just singing their own leading praise and worship. You know, David killed 20,000. Everybody was happy. And when David became king, he says, is there anyone from the house of Saul that I might show him mercy? How many of us, when the Lord lifts us, we will look for the sons of our enemies to show them mercy? not show them mercy so that they will know. You know, there's a way you can show somebody mercy. Say, this is chicken. Eat, so that you will know that your father denied. Eat the chicken. You you know, that's not mercy. We're not saying, and and that's what happens to us. We want to prosper so other people will know that they were not our God. You will never prosper. You might die poor. God will never prosper you to prove a point to anyone. If you keep praying like that, I'm telling you, if you keep praying that way, You will struggle in life. God doesn't need to use your life to prove a point. He already loves you enough. He sent his son to die for you. That qualifies you for everything God has. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything, oh Lord, I don't deserve it. Anything. Oh God, after what I've done, anything against anyone. Please forgive them. Our corporate prayers are strong as our forgiveness level. Are you still here? Come on, I said, are you still here? Let's look at examples of corporate prayers. Are we we done with that? Okay, let's just go on. We're not talking on forgiveness today now, but let's go on. Acts chapter one. Thank you, thank you, Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Acts chapter one. Ah, you know, Christianity is beautiful. It's beautiful in that the Lord tells you to do things that you cannot do in your own human strength. So you can rely on his grace. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. Acts chapter one and verse 14. We're going to look at the examples of corporate prayers. Acts chapter one and verse 14. Let's just read from verse 12. Then they observe the word (coughs) day. Then they returned to Jerusalem. From the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they observed the word day had entered, they observed the word day went up into the upper room where they observed the word day were staying. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Ephesus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and married the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And in those days, let's just leave that. They all continued with one accord. With one accord. If you ask people who do music or who play the keyboard, what's a chord made up of um, several notes? One accord, coming into the unity of the spirit. They are all with one accord. The early church prayed as one. The early church prayed as one. And we must again capture that spirit of brotherhood. It's something we need to capture. It's not about somebody walking on it. It's every one of us picking it up as a mandate and saying, listen, I want to be connected to the body of Christ. Are you following what I'm saying? It's knowing that I'm connected to you as a brother. Would you disappoint me? Yes, you may. Would you do things that? Yes, you may. But listen to me. I'm connected to you because the father says so. Praise the name of the Lord. Acts chapter 1, verse 24. This was when they were making a choice of leadership. Verse 23, and they proposed two Joseph called Basabas, Bas- Bas, who was surnamed Justus, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, oh O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas fell by transgression. Now, what happened is that in choosing of leaders, the church prayed corporately. The church prayed corporately to choose leaders. There was corporate prayer in the choice of leaders. I'll tell you this. It's important that as a, uh, uh, when you put leaders in, in, in whatever, in the body of Christ or whatever local church, it's important that you pray. The number one mistake every pastor is taught, any pastor, and pastors keep making it all the time, the number one mistake every pastor is taught to avoid is putting the wrong people in leadership. Putting the wrong people in leadership. Uh, a minister of the gospel must never be in a hurry to put people in leadership. Must never be in a hurry. You know, some, some we, we're quick. You know, the reason we're quick to put people in leadership is because we came from these uh, uh, Omodudu uh, people's association old boys, you know, uh, Ikeja boys College, you know, when you just meet, you say, okay, you are treasurer, you are executive, you are assistant treasurer, you are social welfare director, and we create 13 positions for 14 people. And we bring that spirit into the church because we just want to, you know, for us, it's a sense of organization. The church is spiritual. And the Lord clearly gives criterias for those who we serve. I'll tell you one, he says that a man who would serve as a leader in the church, his home must be hospitable. That means that a man who would serve as a leader should be somewhere where, you know, your home is open to people to come in. You're hospitable to receiving people. It means that we can't put you as a leader in church where every time we come to your house, your wife is in the kitchen and the noise of the plates increases. You just hear, and then the plate is telling you, you guys better go home. It means you can't serve. These are the things we should look for. And there's nowhere in the scriptures that money is mentioned as a mark of who should serve. Are you following this? These are the things we need to restore. Who can serve as a leader in the body of Christ? Because these are very important things. These are very, very important things. Who can be your leader? He says he's the one who has his house in order. That means that if we want to see you as a leader, we need to look at your family. Because the Bible says, if you can't lead your home, how will you lead others? These are very, very, very strong issues. It's not by tribe. You don't, you don't put leadership, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, I'm from Delta. You know, if we don't put Delta people in strategic positions, they can no, this is not, this is not APC and PDP. This is God's church. Praise the name of the Lord? Acts chapter 2, verse forty. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. And with many words, with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and prayers. They prayed. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. And now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer. That's the ninth hour. They went up together. There was corporate prayer. Acts chapter 4, verse 20. Now, this was when... Let me just build this up now. This was when uh, uh, they were said not to preach. They gave them strict warning not to preach. Verse 18. So, they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, not teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge... For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen or heard. Look at verse 21. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them. Because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. This was after the healing. For the man was over 40 years old, whom this miracle of healing had been performed. Verse 23. And being let go, they went to their own company. The King James Version uses the word company. The New King James uses the word companions. They went to their own companions and reported all oh, that the chief priests and elders have said to them. So when they heard that, look at this, they raised their voice to God with one accord. Observe that any time the corporate prayer is released, you always see that one accord. So there were not people in the assembly saying, "Peter, in preaching you have to use wisdom." No, they all prayed. And he said, <laughs> your God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in it, who by the mouth of your servant David have said and all that and all that and all that and all that and all that. Verse 27, for truly against your holy servant Jesus whom he anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Verse 29, look at how they prayed. Now Lord, look on their threats. This is very important because I, I want to really spend time to build this. And I'm going to go to Acts chapter 6 because, you know, when they were threatened, the church did not pray for them to die. And, I'm, you know, somebody's going to say, yes, but when they happened, Herod, whom Herod. I'm going to read, we're going to read the whole verse and see the reason Herod died. It wasn't because the church prayed. Because this mindset of that, if we pray, people need to die to prove that God has answered, is not scriptural. So le- look at what he prayed. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Look at the prayer. They say, God, look at their threats, but they are not our concern. We are praying for boldness. Right? We're praying for boldness. They didn't say, Father, look at your threats. Anybody that said the gospel will not go forward. Lord, it is you they are fighting with not us. Say, give us boldness. I remember when the band showing miracles on TV. I saw prayers that pastors were leading from the pulpit. It's a shame. Even if they make a decree in Bonnie Island that we should not preach the gospel again. They are not our problem. What we need is boldness. Are you following what I'm saying? I know some of you don't agree. (laughs) See, pastor, you have not seen wickedness. But by stretching out your hand to heal and the signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. That's what we need today. Boldness to preach the truth of God's word. Boldness to preach the gospel. Boldness. Let's go to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's, let's, let's skip Acts 6. But you can go to Acts chapter 6, verse 6. You're going to see when they prayed and when they, said, they po- said, whom they said before the apostles and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. So the apostles were released from the church. So certain people can be prayed for in the church and released into ministry. Corporate prayers, releasing them into that office. The church can set people forth in their ministries, corporately, and say, we, we recognize the apostolic grace of God on your life, or we recognize whatever evangelistic grace you have, and then we corporately pray to release those people. But go to Acts chapter 12. That's where the bone of contention is. Acts chapter 12. I want to skip Acts. Uh, there's a lot of scripture, but let's go to Acts chapter 12. Um, yep. Yeah. Let's read Acts chapter 12, okay? Quickly. We're going to read 25 verses. So, raise up. Let's go. Now, by that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that he pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter. Now, it was during the days of the all-living bread. So, when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison. Look at this. But constant prayer was offered to God for him by what? Oh, I can't hear you. Constant prayer was offered to God for him by what? By the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with, bound with two chains between two soldiers. And the guards before the door were in the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him. And a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. So you have that whole experience of, of the angel leading him out. Verse 11. Okay, they went over the streets and then the angels, the, the doors were opening of their own accord. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now nah I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So he came to the house and, um, you know, got into the house. Let's go to verse 17. And motioning to them with his hand to keep silence, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, God tell these things to James and to the brethren, and he departed and went to another place. So you find that a constant prayer was made for Peter. And when Peter, when this prayer was made for Peter, you know what happened? The Bible says the angels of the Lord was released to set Peter free. It means that when we pray corporately, angels are released to set us free from our individual afflictions. Constant prayer for the church. I think one of the things we missed in the body of Christ or we're missing in the body of Christ is those times where you could genuinely call people and say, this is what I'm going through. I want you to stand together and pray for me. You know, right now, we're not comfortable with that. Oh, I don't want anybody to know my problem. And you know, even here people say, everybody has their own. (laughs) And you see, we miss the communion of the Christian faith. Because what we just have, instead of having one whole body in one direction, we have fragments of people just sitting in the local church. There are people in the church you're not friends with. There are people in the church you talk to. They are your people. They are their people. They are pastors' people. They are this one. They are this one. They are this one. And we lose the efficiency of a corporate house. Because we're segmented. We're segmented. Ah, this one, this one, these people right-hand people. This one are the left-hand people. This one are we just segmented, creating camps in what should be a seamless flow of the life and the mind and the purposes of Christ. And we wonder why we're not achieving so much as a corporate house. Now, why did Herod die? Let's go to verse eighteen quickly. Then, as soon as it was day, there was no small stay among the soldiers about what. Let me let me skip that. My time is going. Let's go to verse 20. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord and have made blasters the king's personal aid to their friend. They asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So on a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. Why did Herod die? He did not give glory to God. He took God's glory. These same words were used for Peter. And he said, no, we're men like you. What we need to pray for corporately as a church is boldness to proclaim the gospel. Boldness to teach the truth. If you look at Romans chapter 15 verse 3. And 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11, Paul took time to ask for prayers. Paul took time to ask the church. He says, pray for us. That's something you must learn to do, to pray for the ministers of the gospel. Pray for missionaries. Pray for pastors. Pray for leaders. He says, pray for us. Learn to pray for the ministers of the gospel. Learn it. It's very important. Paul says, pray for us. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 3 to, f- to 4, he says, pray for us. Every time Paul writes a letter, Romans 15, 30 to 32, 2 Corinthians 1, 11, Colossians 4, 3 to 4, Paul asks the church to pray for them. You hear that, oh, pastor, I've traveled to go and preach. Don't say, ah, this pastor said, can he not stay in one place? No, that's the time to pray. Because for some of us, you know, I I know someone, I was telling my friend about this, a minister of the gospel was teaching that and he was saying that, you know, you've got to sit with your assignment, you've got to be in one place, you've got to sit with your church, you've got to sit with your church. And I said, come on guys, we don't all have the same calling. You do what God asks you to do, not what someone thinks you should do if you're called and there's an apostolic grace in your life to go to the nations, you will be disobeying God sitting in one place. Are you following what I'm saying? This thing is not a model we copy. This thing is a unique call and assignment that God has put in our life. So when you hear that we're going out on missions, we're going to preach, what's your responsibility? You pray for utterance. You pray for boldness. You pray for safety. Praise the name of the Lord. You pray for health. Paul asked for corporate prayers for the church. It's something that the church must learn to do. You know, for instance, I'll, just, I'll, I'll give you an example. For instance, it would be rare to find, I, I don't know, I'm just saying. It would be rare to find people just say, hey, come on, do you think, let's all just take today and, and fast and just pray for our pastor. I mean, without the pastor calling for it. Just, oh. I think we should pray for our pastor. Let's all get together just on behalf of the pastor. Let's just pray for him. Nah, But, I mean, if something is happening, you just heard that, oh, pastor is finding it difficult to breathe. You say, we are meeting in church by eight. Our pastor cannot. You know, that's, that's what pulls us together. Why would you only, why would the church only gather to pray for their pastor when their pastor is sick? If they gather to pray for him, he will probably not be sick. You cannot pray and gossip at the same time. If you are an intercessor, you cannot be a gossiper. Why? Because you know where to go before the Lord in prayers. I want to really shape our hearts because I want us to, to see how we can begin to minister to other people. Pray for other people. Prayer is our responsibility. We can't run away from it. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Are you following this? Hello? Are you still here? <laughs> and I'll tell you something. As you begin to obey these words, you begin to experience increase you never prayed for. I'm telling you the truth. Once you put the kingdom of God first, you begin to see your life take a new turn. I'll tell you one thing. You know one of the reasons pastors are blessed? I'll tell you one thing. One of the reasons pastors are blessed is very simple. I've explained that to you before. It's because, Paul, like Paul says, he says they carry the care of the churches on their hearts. A genuine pastor will be thinking most times of the flock. Those in school, those who are not feeling well, those who are having issues, those that need to be prayed for, those that need to be visited, those that need to do a lot of things, and before he even thinks of himself. And that is why sometimes if you're not well-trained in the ministry, you can neglect your own family to minister to other people. Not because you want to neglect them, but you see, literally, your time is gone. Literally, your time is gone. As much as I love to travel the nations, some of the most difficult moments for me is to carry my bag and say, I'm traveling. Ah, man, you need to see my children. You know, sometimes, I remember the last trip I was, going, was to go to Vietnam, and uh, I, I didn't want my daughter to know I was traveling. So I parked in the night and everything, so I left early. Ah, she refused to go to school that day. She said I did not tell her I was traveling. So I had to call, I had to appeal, I had to beg. Anytime I called from wherever I am, she said it, I didn't tell her to travel. <laughs> you know. So in fact, funny enough, I didn't make that trip. When I got back, it was like the whole family prayed that you know, I mean, that's the trip where everything, those that followed me on that trip, everything was just going. I've never had that kind of, so I just canceled the trip and came back. See, they were so happy. (laughs) Paul says, pray for us. Praise the name of the Lord. So we pray for our leaders. We pray for the body of Christ. 1 Timothy 2, 8. I desire, therefore, that the man pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands, without wrath or doubting. Use the King James version. There's a, the, use the, the the old King James version. Without wrath, without wrath. I think he uses the word quarreling. Is that what he uses in the? Okay, yeah, he uses the word doubting. Out therefore that men prayed everywhere, lifting up holy hands, without wrath and without doubting keep that in your heart without wrath when we lift our hands we want our hearts to be free to bet something on the earth God is counting on us as a church come to the place of corporate prayers as in corporate prayers we bear one another's burden Galatians 6 2 that's how we bear one another's burden Galatians 6 2 in corporate prayers, we bear one another's burden. Bear one another's burden. So fulfill the law of Christ. We must learn to bear people's burden. To pray for people as if it concerns us. You know, people say, ah, Pastor, I don't know how to pray. Ah, I can't pray very long. But you know, when you're going through things, what happens? You can pray long. It's just that when it concerns someone else, it's fine with them. If they make it, fine. If they don't make it, it's okay. Hallelujah. But that's not what God wants us to do. God wants us to bear one another's body. You know, one of our challenges also in the body of Christ started when we started having too many departments. you right? You say this one is evangelism department. This one is prayer department. Say we are the prayer warriors. We are the intercessors who hold the church. So the church will not move. And then some people just felt, oh, my own is not intercession. My own is a uh, projector. Who will not do projector as opposed to intercession? I was going say, my own is not... Uh, I'm not into evangelistic things. My own is drama. <laughs> okay. Now, nobody is going out to win souls anymore. When last did you win a soul? When last did you preach the gospel to someone? Huh? Because we to have departments. And, you know, we just have all those things. It makes us... Sometimes not because of efficiency. It makes us just feel important. I'm the head of the drama units. I'm the head of the people that carry water before pastors approaches and the head so you just have meetings upon meetings upon meetings it's like you are in a company head of left 100 people in the church we're meeting on Tuesday head of all the men force we are meeting on Saturday head of the women force purple we are meeting on this day have you observed that there's no women and men fellowship here I'm the men leader <laughs> I'm the women leader. <laughs> I'm the teenage leader. i would say, oh, those things are good. They are good. Absolutely. But you know what's more important? If we all learn the word the, the way we need to learn the word, we will all be fine. You will be fine. You'll be, you be a fine wife. Learn this word. You'll be fine. You know, this alone can help you that you should not pray when you're angry with your husband. You should sort it out. Husband too. Because we always, I mean, for women, they are quick. But for, more, for us as husbands, you see some husbands who can hold malice. That thing you did on the 1st of March 1979. I have decided to finally forgive you. Today is the 15th year anniversary of your offense. And in the spirit of Children's Day, you are now free. It says let's lift up holy hands without wrath praise the name of the lord praise the name of the lord let's lift up holy hands without wrath Washman said she the church is to be heaven's outlet the channel of release for heaven's power the medium of accomplishment of god's purpose many things have accumulated in heaven because god has not yet found the, his outlet on the earth to be effective. God wants us to pray as a church. When the church calls for a prayer meeting, show up. God wants us to be a body. When we agree on a direction, show up. He I'll tell you something. The church of Jesus Christ can be the easiest thing on earth if we follow the dictates of God's word. Just make it easy. Just learn. Just fellowship. Just relate. The Lord will guide you. If you pray, And fellowship with the Lord. He'll tell you where to serve. He'll tell you, I want you here. I want you there. I want you there. And by the time you begin to go and serve in those places, what people do to you will not affect you. Because you know why? You know that the Lord sent you there. Are you feeling what I'm saying? And sometimes the Lord can even ask you, Hey, I want you to go to this local church, and I don't want you to serve. I want you to sit and learn. So you can become a better servant. So, it's not compulsory everybody must must serve in church. It's not compulsory. It's not compulsory. Some people don't need to serve. Some need to learn, to unlearn what they have been taught and relearn so they can become better. Because it's not as if when you serve, you are closer to God than the man who doesn't serve. No. In fact, your service can distract you from spiritual growth. If you're not careful. The first service God wants from you is to learn his word and his ways. So whatever you offer to the Lord can be in righteousness. Are you following what I'm saying? So as we go into the month of prayers, I want you to to readjust that. And see that we are going to spend some time to pray. Corporately. Praying for one another. Praying for one another. Praying for corporate increase. Corporate prosperity. Prosperity. Corporate protection. Knowing that we are one body. Praise the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Present Truth Broadcast with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng We would also like to hear from you. Send us an email info at pastormax.ng or call Zero eight zero five eight 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 seven five seven five God bless you